who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Welcome to Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. I'm Yen. I read, review, write, breathe, eat, sleep comic books. And I'm Nat. I am an audio engineer sound designer, occasional music producer, songwriter. I feel like I should have said this in earlier episodes and now we're in episode three. But you know, if you've made it this far, now you know a little bit more about me. So here at Comic Sense, what happens is I'm going to try and convince my friend Nat that comics are worthwhile as a medium. Nat's never read any comic books. I read a ton of them. And so every week we go through a different comic that I love or have some strong feelings about, and I'm going to try and convince Nat what's good about them before he reads them. And then he's going to read them, and then we're going to talk about it. Correction, at the point of recording, I have officially now read two comics. He's got me, folks. He's got me. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm excited to, to read more, Yen. I'm particularly excited about this one in context of what I shared about you know being an audio person, because there is a relationship or a link between what we're about to read today and the audio world. Right? That is correct, Nat. That is correct. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening for the first time, what's about to happen right now is that Yen is going to go into a little rant, what we like to call an unhinged yant, where he's going to share a little bit about what I'm about to read, prime me a little bit to pay attention to certain things, and prepare my mind for the experience that I'm about to partake in. Is that right, Yen? That is correct. And I do want to state that I do take grievances with the name um, Unhinged Yant. I'm very hinged. I'm like a door swinging. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. So, Nat, tell me, tell me, when I say Sandman to you, what do you think of? The first thing I think of is obviously the Audible series, which I, I am aware of, but I okay. have to very openly say as an audio person, I'm sort of embarrassed that I haven't listened to it yet. Ooh. I will get to it one day, I promise, but I'm aware of it. So that's the first thing I think of. And obviously the second thing I think of, I guess my mind works chronologically is then the Netflix series that came out, which I've also not correct, watched. Correct. So, but those are the two things I'm aware of that exist. So our producer is a huge fan of the Audible series. As of recording, part three has just dropped. And also as of this recording, Season 2 of Sandman has just been announced by Netflix. Which is very surprising, because Netflix seems to be going the way of Twitter and hemorrhaging its money. Perhaps this is the problem. Perhaps they should stop making Sandman. 
You didn't hear it from me, folks. <laughs> didn't hear it from me. But now you also, there's got to be one more Sandman thing you, you know of. Come on, come on, really scrounge that brain. Is it, is, it, is it the guy in Spider-Man, the villain? No, 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 no. Come on, you, you, you said all this sound stuff. Come on, come on, Mr. Soundman. I'm stressed. You don't know every song in existence. Let me, let me, let's see if this gives you a hint. Mr. Sandman, <laughs> bring me a dream. Boom, 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 boom. Make it the nicest one I've ever I know seen. this is not the song boom, you're referring boom, 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 to, but I do know that, that Fall Out Boy ha- has a bunch of songs referring to Mr. Sandman. Wait, so you actually don't know the song I just sang? I don't lah. Oh man, that's going to make the rest of my thing real difficult. Because <laughs> it's a slightly, you know, forget about it. Forget about it. Okay. So there's been a couple different adaptations of Sandman in different media, which implies that perhaps its source material is pretty famous, pretty celebrated, does pretty well. That's fair. And what's that source material? That source material is a graphic novel. What is a graphic novel, Matt? What do you think a graphic novel is? My understanding of it is that it is sort of like a standalone comic, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. So it's kind of, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. Graphic novels are defined by, they are supposed to have a fixed ending, like a novel. So that's about the form. There's a fixed endpoint in sight. Some people also think of graphic novels as comics for adults. And that's got to do more with the content. right? And so that's like the literary complexity of the work. Which really is, how do you measure literary complexity? That's a very difficult thing to say. You know, are you looking for similes? Are you looking for metaphors? In case it's not clear, I don't really buy into the categorization of the distinction between comic books and graphic novels. I think it's pretty, it's pretty meaningless. It's pretty meaningless. It's just a way for people to just give themselves distinctions. And I think, especially in its early years, it was a term used to describe people who still were looking down on comics as a form but we're like, no, but I like graphic novels. Mm, big boy stuff. Big boy stuff. And how do you know it's big boy stuff, right? It's very subjective. In many ways, the graphic novel is like um, that saying about porn. You know it when you see it. Oh. But we can't speak to that because we've never seen that. No. We've I, never seen that kind of content. No, never. But when people talk about Sandman, that's one of those where people are like, oh, I see it. This is a graphic novel. Okay? And it's not just because of all the words on the page. So before we continue, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Sandman because today's episode is a little different. In our past two episodes, I've had you read issue one of a comic book so you are understanding it at the ground level. You are getting the same buy-in as any other reader did when it came out. Sandman really hits its stride later in the series when Neil Gaiman settles into the form a little more. So here's a little bit about Sandman zoomed way out. Sandman is about Morpheus, the god of dreams, as he navigates a new world after a long and unjust imprisonment. It's magic, it's fantasy, it's fables, it's basically a mythology unto itself. There's a longer arc following Morpheus as he adapts and grows, but there's also little stories in between that connect thematically but don't necessarily advance the quote-unquote plot in the same way that serialized comic books usually do. And a big thing about Sandman that people often forget and you're going to be a little confused by when you read this, is that Sandman is still a DC character. Like, he exists in the DC universe. He meets the Justice League. Not in this, but he appears in a Justice League comic. And that's a pretty weird thing, because he's a pretty, like, off-kilter character. How do we get there? How do we get to this oddity of Sandman in the DC universe? Nat, I'm going to need you to close your eyes and take a little trip with me to the late 70s. I'm all strapped in. Karen Berger is a new editor at DC Comics. So you know DC Comics, right, Nat? Yeah, I'm aware. 
Yeah, so that's DC, that's Superman, that's Batman, that's Wonder Woman, as opposed to Marvel, which is Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, The Avengers. Colloquially, they're referred to as the big two because they are the two biggest publishers of comic books. Okay. So Karen Berger is starting at DC in 1979 as an assistant editor. And she's really interested in what she can bring in to stir the pot. Berger herself stated that when she was going in, she actually had not read much of superhero comics. She was not encountering the big two's work. She was coming in and she didn't have preconceived notions on what comic books could be. And she wasn't bogged down by continuity or how to move forward. She was gravitating towards genre and people-oriented stories, something that people weren't used to within the big two, which was very much about plot moving forward. So Kamberger is an outsider, and she wants to hear more from the outsiders. She knows there's this massive pool of characters to draw from, decades of characters left by the wayside, and she needs some rebellious writers to sift through the dregs and tell their own stories. And at the same time, she's also responding to things that are happening within DC and also just in comic books in general. Right. Writers are coming in and they're revolutionizing characters. John Byrne is on Superman. George Perez is on Wonder Woman. And not in the superhero vein at all, Art Spiegelman is writing and drawing Mouse. Kamberger, this journey of hers starts when she's assigned to work as an assistant editor with Alan Moore on Swamp Thing. Alan Moore will go on to make Watchmen, which is considered one of the most influential comic books slash graphic novels of all time. And she's realizing that there's a lot of interesting voices across the pond. And this is when Berger initiates the British invasion. This is a real term that people use to describe what happens next. She brings in artists like Dave Gibbons and Brian Bolin, as well as writer Grant Morrison, who works on Animal Man. And we're going to talk a lot about Grant Morrison later in the podcast. We're going to cover it in future episodes. And the third writer she brings in. So she's got Alan Moore, she's got Grant Morrison, and she's got one more guy, 27-year-old goth, basically responding to what is a tiny, tiny part of DC's history. Wait, did you say goth? Goth. He's a goth? Not like a Visigoth, not like a Roman barbarian. No, like like he's a he's an emo kid. He's got the long curly hair. He's oh, black all no, the that's time. what I meant. I I didn't. Yeah, I, I wanted to clarify. Oh yeah, that's Neil. That's Neil Gaiman, man. That's Neil Gaiman. And it's funny, right? Because we think of now as Neil Gaiman as this titan of genre work, right? We've got American Gods, we've got Neverwhere, Stardust, Coraline. All of those were books, and then also movies or TV shows. He's just everywhere. Most people know his name, but at this point, the only thing he's got to his credit is a biography of the musical group Duran Duran. Nice. (laughs) And a little bit of comic work, but really just tiny things. And that takes us to Sandman. Now, Nat, do you remember the Sandman song I sang you just now? You've really never heard that song before? I told you it was a critical part of my speech. Please enlighten me. I'm... (laughs) This is nuts. This is nuts. So Just give me the damn title of the song, man. I mean, I assume it's Sandman, so, but who's so it by? this song, it goes, it's, it's Mr. Sandman, um, give me a dream, make him the nicest one you've ever seen, um, whatever. It's a song that's responding to a European folktale. It's about this little man who sends you to sleep by sprinkling sand on your eyes. Who's it by? It's a, it's, well, now you caught me. Oh, I see. It's one of those. Just no, no, like, no, 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 no. This is not part of the folktale. This is like, this was like a song from like the 1920s. You're so confusing me, man. <laughs> This is good. This is the part that's confusing you. This is the part what was that's the song? confusing you. What was you? the song that you sang? <laughs> Mr. Sandman. By who? I don't know. 
So the original Sandman, now you've infected me with this, with this furious energy and we can't edit around it anymore. The original Sandman in the comics is a character from 1939. Superman, for context, appeared for the first time in that same year. So that Sandman, he's this goofy little guy with a cape and a, and a gas mask and he'll send criminals to sleep with gas. And then he'll sprinkle sand on them. To, so the cops are like, oh, the Sandman did it. Or kind of like the Zodiac Killer, too. It's a little goofy. And then in the early 70s, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, these are the creators of Captain America, try to take another stab at the Sandman. They push it a little further. Their Sandman floats through the dream stream, fighting nightmares. Again, it does not stick. And then in the 80s, Berger runs into Gaiman during a trip to the UK, and he pictures her Sandman and the story of the Endless. So Nat, you may be asking me, who are the Endless? It's a pretty big question. Do you want to ask me that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you ready? I'm ready. I'm bracing. I'm bracing. Yen, who are the Endless? It's a great question, Nat. They're the personification of abstract concepts of the order of the universe. <laughs> say that Do you again. want me to say that again? Yeah, yeah. I won't. Just two, no, I won't. Two more times, please. I'm just going to explain, and when I list them out for you, it's going to get a little clearer, okay? okay? So there's destiny, delirium, desire, destruction, death, despair, and dream. Oh, I was really hoping that last one wouldn't start with D. Because that would be... And Freddy. <laughs> that would be really good, yeah. And George. <laughs> <laughs> so the Endless are their own cosmology that Gaiman invents. They're this pantheon that he makes for the book. And a lot of people take a stab at trying to make their own, you know, pantheon. It's, it's kind of like the way we try to make sense of the universe, right? And I think it's something that a lot of, like, young writers, myself included, try to do in our early work, like, trying to, like, ooh, what if the Grim Reaper shows up in this scene, you know? But there's a reason that Neil Gaiman's version works. There's a lot of literature about this because, really, like, Sandman is so huge that it's studied in academia, what the, are the things he's pulling from, what are the mythic narratives or conventions, the big hoity-toity terms, which I, I don't doubt are true, but I think there's easier ways to look at it. Gamian is taking the biggest things we know, the things we don't understand, we can never truly grasp a hold of, and is making them into people we can look at. And I mean people in the fullest sense. These are people who are suffering, who are making mistakes, who are proud, who love and hate it's not an empty personification. It's not the kind you see in a high schooler's first play like mine. It's the full architecture of the cosmos, each part filling up the whole. And that applies to the very structure of Sandman, especially the two. Yes, two, Nat. I'm going to make you read two issues today. I'm sorry. So these two issues come out as part of Sandman's regular monthly release schedule. But they're both standalone stories, so you don't actually have to read anything else. You're not going to need to know about Morpheus's mask or his sand or his kingdom. All of that context is kind of given in the issues themselves. But you just need to read these two standalone stories and you're going to see a little bit of what makes Sandman so special. One of those things is the lyricism of Gaiman's prose. His Morpheus is this lilting, languid fellow. I know I make you do this every week, but I want you to do it again, which is read some of the captions aloud from issue eight later. The captions are one of the things that people see as elevating Sandman to the level of quote-unquote real literature, if you care about those things. Gaiman's approach to death in issue 8 is that he keeps pushing us into the unexpected spots. 
he said when he was writing the issue, when he was conceptualizing Sandman and the Endless, he was thinking about the character of death. And he was most interested in discovering what happens if death is nice. What does that do to people? How does that change the character's relationships with her? And how does that change our own relationship with mortality? And why do we want to believe Gaiman is right? We know he made this up. We know the Pantheon is fake. It's a fully a story, but does that make it less real? What are we if not our imaginations? If we think of death as friendly, as kind, as someone doing their duty to maintain the order of the universe, do we become a little less afraid? Does believing that story make us live fuller, less restricted by what may come? Gaiman, when writing about the power of myth, has said this, quote, without our stories, we are incomplete, end quote. The stories you're going to be reading are tiny. It's just two characters going around meeting the Califare. The best Sandman stories are like that. Little stories that say something very profound. Not profound in a vacuum, nor saying something directly to us. Because despite being the embodiment of the dream, Morpheus is our vessel. He is the one who shifts after his encounters, and we shift with him. We somehow are empathizing with the concept of the dream. I don't want to tell you anything about Sandman 13. All I'm going to say is that it's my personal favorite issue of the entire series. It's got a lot of themes similar to issue 8 about living, dying, about the harmony of existing, about being ushered gently onwards. Most of the best Sandman stories are about precisely that. The difficulties of being alive, of persisting, of continuing, and of endings. Because, as Neil Gaiman has said, Sandman is the story of how Morpheus learns that he must, quote, change or die. End quote. Or maybe sometimes it's both. And with that, I'm going to ask you to open up your trades you're holding in front of you, Nat. I have them in my hands right now. What do I start with? Nat, you're going to be reading issue 8 of Sandman, The Sound of Her Wings. And you're going to be reading issue 13 of Sandman, Men of Good Fortune. So yes, if you would like to read along with me, you may look to procure those issues for yourself. And we will be right back. The sound of her wings. I see some wings. Great start. Football in the second panel. That's exactly what I want to see. You, you know what I like, Lian. For the American listeners out there, I mean soccer. All these people need haircuts. Ooh, I'm going to try to read this line out loud. <laughs> it's a jolly old day with you, Myrie Poppins. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Oh, his name is Dream. You are literally the stupidest, most self-centered, appallingest excuse for an anthropomorphic personification on this or any other plane. An infantile, adolescent, pathetic specimen. This sounds like you, Yen. I'm going to read these captions. Soundless, we travel. No heads turn to mark our passing. The churning crowd parts as we walk through it, looking everywhere else, but not at us. In the world of the waking, of the living, we move silent as a breath of cool wind. As we pass them, people shiver and look away, mutter to each other. Feels like someone walking over my grave, I heard one man say. Like someone just walked over my grave. Violent music echoes down the stairwell, sounding frail and out of place. I recognize the tune, although it is being played very badly. I heard it last in London, 200 years ago. Oh, not the baby! <laughs> I find myself wondering about humanity. Their attitude to my sister's gift is so strange. Why do they fear the sunless lands? It is as natural to die as it is to be born. But they fear her, dread her, 
Feebly, they attempt to placate her. Placate? No, Franklin. <laughs> Why did it have to be the footballer? Oh, no, he didn't die. Thank goodness. Issue 13, Men of Good Fortune. Will Shaxbird? This is William Shakespeare, isn't it? Would you write great plays, create new dreams to spur the minds of men? Is that your will? I think you're here for something else. And what might that be? Friendship. I think you're lonely, aww. Poor dreams lonely. You dare. You dare imply that I might befriend a mortal? That one of my kind might need companionship? You dare to call me lonely? Oh, their first argument. Another jump to the present. Mr. Needs a Haircut said, I have always heard it was impolite to keep our one's friends waiting. Would you like a drink? The end. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hello, I'm back. So, how was it? I'm like your mom when you're back coming back from school. So, did you have a good day now? Okay. Okay, I'm going to come clean. I have a confession to make. Do it. So, earlier in this episode, I said that I had never consumed any of the other forms uh, of the Sandman, the, the media that exists in the world. But there is a caveat to that, which is... So, my, wi- my wife and I, I... I'm married, by the way. Uh, my, my wife. My wife. Yen loves it when I say my wife. My wife. <laughs> my, my wife and I consume very different things, very different media. So she watches a lot of Netflix and so she has watched The Sandman and, you know, we have a TV in our bedroom so once in a while she'll be watching something on the TV while I, like, use my phone or do whatever else that I do. And one night when she was watching The Sandman, my curiosity was piqued by what was happening on screen and I sort of flitted in and out of this one episode just briefly and that one episode turns out to be 
I guess, an adaptation of the issue that I just read, issue 13. But but I really wasn't paying attention. It was sort of like I was kind of half in, half out. So the read was still very, very enlightening and very interesting to me. It wasn't like something that I had completely seen before. So this is an audio medium. And what that means is that the listener can't see me currently weeping <laughs> with this betrayal. The extent of how far Nat has wounded me with his lies, his falsehoods. How was I supposed to know that? The, Just selfish. The, no, frankly, selfish behavior. How was I supposed to know that the behavior. one episode I had semi-watched? Well, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the real reveal? Are you ready for the even for the thing I'm about to drop on you? You're my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! No, that is not what I'm about to drop on you. Um, that that has been a that's been a. <laughs> Yeah, I can't even respond to that. <laughs> the episode you were flitting in and out of, the Netflix show combined two stories into one episode. The two stories they combined into one no. episode. No way. Was the sound of her wings. No. The second half of the episode was Men of Good Fortune. So somehow, somehow, you've just, skated right into disaster you've skated it's the worst possible scenario but it seems like your memory just doesn't function so it doesn't matter i feel like you're missing the point this is the work of of, of a higher being this is the work of the endless they've all thank you they've orchestrated these series of events for this very moment thank you so coming back from the break folks Here's just a small recap of what happens in issue 8 and issue 13 if you did not read along with that or you just want to know, or you've read a long time ago and you're not sure. Issue 8, The Sound of Her Wings, is the first time that death appears in Sandman. And in that issue, Morpheus is moping, and death brings Morpheus on a little tour, you know, bring her brother to work day, except her job is ushering souls into the next phase of existence. So I have a question here, just to quickly jump in. So Morpheus is what? His Christian name? Anyway, in issue 13, <laughs> Man of Good Fortune, I'm going to continue my recap and ignore you because frankly, you've insulted me. You've insulted our audience. Our producer is quitting the show. <laughs> He's actually starting his own show and it's just, it's just all hate speech against you for your brazen lies. I feel like you're not... Em- issue 13. <laughs> excuse me, sir. I'm talking right now. I'm talking. Show me some respect, which you've not done today. <laughs> issue 13, Men of Good Fortune, is an issue in which Morpheus is in a bar in, I think, the 1600s. Um, and there's a man there who says that death is a loser's game. He's not going to do it. And Morpheus is there with his sister. And they agree, you know what? Let's see what happens. And Morpheus is convinced that the man's going to quit at some point. That the man is going to think, actually, I should die. And so he says to the man, let's meet again in 100 years. And so that issue follows Morpheus. Every few pages, we shoot forward 100 years to their next meeting. And this man, Hob, goes through different phases of his life. He rises in fortune. He has a fall from grace. They get accosted by people who believe them to be mystical beings, which they're not wrong. But what type of mystical beings the people are mistaken on? The devil. The devil, correct. And then eventually... The last page is them meeting in the 1980s after Morpheus's long imprisonment. So that's a recap of issues 8 and 13. And actually, so that leads me to my first question for you, Nat, which has to do with this question about standalone issues. Yeah. 
Do you have any larger sense of what's going on in Sandman now after reading those issues in terms of like the overarching plot? Plot-wise, I would say no. I have an understanding of the characters' dream and death and sort of how they operate in this universe. Well, I guess more so for death and just from these two issues alone, I kind of understand death's role, but I don't really understand dream's role or Morpheus's role. Right, right. And I guess then my follow-up question is, did it matter to you that you didn't know that the things were going on around this? Like, did you care? Did that affect your reading experience, you think? No, no. I think they were, they were both enjoyable reads, accessible reads. I think even with close to zero context, it didn't affect my reading of it at all. Yeah. So Nat, I told you to read the prose out loud. Yeah. The captions yeah. out loud, which is prosaic. What, what was the experience like? Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean when you say that it is the captions that make people sort of want to classify this in that category of quote-unquote literature, right? Whatever that category entails and how you define that category. But it, it is obviously very, very well written. It's more novelistic, right? Yeah. He's, he's, spending, he's, he's spending more time in the captions to use his similes and his metaphors and, you know, all those other tricks in the novelist handbook. A fun thing for you to know is that actually this is the first comic book that Neil Gaiman works on. Wait, but you said, see, I, I pay attention. You said that he had done some comic work before... Yes, he had done some comic work before. You you are correct. You've caught me in my web of lies. So now we're even. No, those were those were very short bits for like very small stories. This was definitely the biggest project he'd taken on. Right. And there's a funny thing where Karenberger has said that he was growing. Karenberger was watching Neil Gaiman grow into the comic book form and everybody who was working on it were feeling like that. Okay, and then by the time issue eight hit, issue eight was the turning point for everyone. When they were like, oh, okay, wow, now he's really getting it. Interesting. And that's not to dig on the first seven issues. It's just that in issue eight, it's like when things really start to come together. It's where the endless kicks in. It's where a lot of the larger myth building comes in, but all packed into two characters. Mm. And it doesn't rely on as many captions as the rest of it. Because Morpheus is the narrator for most of the Sandman. Right. But there's actually not that much narration in either of these issues. Right. What I really liked about issue 8 was sort of the way that they... Like in the second half when we begin to follow Death as she does her rounds, right? You know, ending people's lives. But then they intersperse that with the larger commentary in the captions. But then also with like the conversations between the two of them. And then also like Death's commentary on the individual people, you know, who are dying. So there's sort of like three or four different conversations that are going on at the same time they all sort of feed into each other I thought that was a really nice use of the form that you couldn't do in say a novel right and I think yeah I think you're pointing to one of the things that people say makes Sandman more complex is the layering within the issue yeah yeah exactly right all of those narratives and those conversations are happening concurrently and then there's also that that pretty striking I think one of the things you were alluding to is there's this two-page montage of basically eight or so deaths yeah and we're just shooting through them. But because Gaiman has already given us the prior deaths, so there's three prior deaths. There's the old man playing the violin, mm -hmm. there's the stand-up comedian, and then there's the baby. And all three of them get a lot of more page time, but they're infused with so yeah. much humanity that when yeah. the montage comes, yeah. we kind of feel it in ourselves. Yeah. And so it doesn't make it just like, a, oh, here's all these people who are dead. Mm. It's not like a pop, 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 pop. You're actually realizing that it's a, it's, it's, you're, you're spending some time in it. Well, spending some time, but there is still a level of, I guess, 
nonchalance. Like, like death isn't grieving any of these people, right? Right. But, you know, she still carries the baby and she still tells the comedian, hey, your set was great. I think it goes back to what you were saying in your yant, which is like, this personification of death is not, you know, your typical like high school grim reaper. I am death and I'm here to end it now. You know, it, there is depth to death. Right. Thank you. I think a question you asked, like, is death nice, right? Right. I don't know. I, I mean, from issue eight in particular, I don't know if I would say nice, but that, like you said, there is a humanity that strikes me. And it's also part of what makes issue eight so much fun. And this is something you don't have because you don't read the first seven issues, is that Death is maybe the most cheerful character in all of Sandman. I mean, she does sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and you see Morpheus, he's very gaunt, he's very dreary, he's moping. He's goth. And so it's, so we're either, yeah, we're either dealing with like Dream as this goth, this emo fellow, or serial killers, or we're dealing with Chirpy Death. And so she's really this breath of fresh air that enters the comic. And I can imagine when this book was coming out in the 80s, getting to issue eight and being like, oh my goodness, this has taken a whole new turn. This is the last thing I expected from this book. So That's death pretty... did, not, did not feature in the first seven? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. This is the first but appearance of the character. What, what, were audiences or were readers aware of her existence? I think there's some allusions to it. So, so there's a little caption there that you may have glazed over where uh, Morpheus says to death, they were trying to capture you, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that, yeah. Right, and so actually we do know that death exists, but we don't know what she's like. I see. And we never see her. I will say between, you know, issue 8 and issue 13, I'm not a huge fan of Dream as a character. Like, death is obviously a much more likable character. Dream right. reads to me as, obviously in, the, in issue 8, he's kind of mopey, and then in issue 13, he has that sort of like, I don't, I don't need friends. How dare you say it? Right, right. In line with his look, kind of reads a bit like this insolent teenager, you know, who doesn't want to be told. Yeah. No, that goes exactly back to what I was saying about Gaiman's lesson of, dream is in this story is that dream has to change or die and we're basically watching him grow up and we're experiencing him now at maybe one of his most immature moments within the story before right. he's changing his ways and he's realizing that he needs to you know reckon with other people and on this point of likability death is i want to say and i have no statistics at all to say this perhaps maybe the most tattooed character of all time Oh, like literal tattoos. Like people have so many tattoos of death, whether it's like a quote from her, whether it's the ankh that she carries around her neck, whether it's the character's face, the character's design. This is a hugely influential character for people because she's so comforting. Interesting. You know, Gaiman gets a lot of notes and things from people who are like, actually this issue got me through a really hard time. I lost a loved one and it felt so purposeless and it felt so difficult. And this issue helped me center myself, helped me figure some things out. Wow, that's really cool. And, and that's amazing, right? And it's 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 kind of funny because the central part of this issue is actually about dream learning. Yeah. But I guess in that sense, right. we are dream, right? Like, it kind of... Exactly. Dream is me. Dream is you. Dream is me. Well, dream is also Gaiman because... Goth. <laughs> dream looks a lot like Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I need to... See, can, can we just pull up an image? I'm going to Google Neil Gaiman. What, what should I search? Neil Gaiman teenager? Um, Neil Gaiman young. Young Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman young. You should be... Honestly, you could look at Neil Gaiman now and they look the same still. I mean, I know what it looks like now. I wouldn't say goth. Okay. It doesn't look... Okay, no, no. Okay, there's literally... <laughs> there's literally an image here. Why does Morpheus look like Neil Gaiman? 
literature <laughs> stack exchange <laughs> and then you have a side-by-side photo yeah i guess morpheus just is more in need of a haircut lah. nat quick question for you what do you think happens to franklin at the end of the book <sighs> i think he and death go on to have a great time whether he <laughs> whether he survives whether he survives um the romp remains to be seen but I hope for his sake, he dies in a bout of pleasure. So Nat, I want you to go, I want you to look at the the second last page, okay? Of what, issue eight? With the top of the page, where the top of the page is the ball landing. Uh-huh. Okay? Do you see the top of the page oh. where the ball is landing? <laughs> Do you oh, see the third I, panel yeah, where yeah, Franklin yeah, yeah, is yeah, lying yeah. dead on the ground? <laughs> I don't do this to besmirch Franklin, you know, <laughs> rest in peace. But come oh, on, man. <laughs> I just want I just wanted the footballer to win for once, you know? You wanted the football footballers have been winning their whole damn lives. Look at Wayne Rooney. <laughs> that's your choice as the epitome of a footballer who wins their whole life. Wayne Rooney? Yeah, that's what I went with. I mean, look at him. How is he still making money when not, he looks not like... Not David you know? Beckham, you know, the guy who's nope. literally uh, a model. Nope. I and, went with Wayne Rooney. Okay. Yeah, okay, I admit I missed that. I missed that. I was just kind of... I projected. I, I know. I saw myself in Franklin. So this is an audio medium, so people can't tell that I'm quaking in rage. I'm tearing <laughs> up my room. I'm punching holes in my wall like Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Okay, Steam he, is blowing out of my ears like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> I get it. He died, okay? He died. Hey, but you know, maybe Ghost Franklin got some action. That's all I'll say. I don't like this. I don't like what you're pursuing at all. I don't like it. I don't like it. Let's talk about issue 13 now. Sure. Let's... Which you kind of know about a little bit. Just a little. You fraud. Let's talk about some of the cameos in this book. In this, in this issue. Okay. So do you recognize one of these characters you definitely know? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And this goes back to the literary stuff of what Neil Gaiman is doing in Sandman. Mm-hmm. Is that that plot point actually becomes a huge turning point later in the book. Oh, really? So William Shakespeare makes a return. William Shakespeare does appear and he has to pay his price to dream. Oh, interesting. Okay. So Shakespeare's actually talking to Kit Marlowe, who wrote Faustus, which is a play about a man who sells his soul to the devil. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And so that's, again, this kind of thing that Gaiman is doing, right? Where it's like layers on layers on right, layers. And maybe right. you get it, maybe you don't. You didn't know Kit Marlowe, and that didn't affect your reading of it. Yeah. There's actually another character that comes up later. You know, those three ruffians that try to catch Hob and Morpheus and rob him. Yep. Johanna Constantine is a ancestor of John Constantine, who is a character that at the same time Alan Moore is making more popular in Swamp Thing and in other books. Is this also in the comic universe? It's also in DC Comics. John Constantine is now a much bigger part of the central DC universe, but he used to be very much on the fringe. Right. He used to be this side character doing his own magic things, always making deals that he shouldn't. And so that's another way that this is connecting so we've got these cameos that are both adding to the literary aspects of the comic book, mm. but they're also connecting it back to the continuity of the other stuff. Mm. It's done in a way where someone like myself, who is proudly ignorant 
<laughs> many of these things bar Shakespeare, where it's not central to your reading of it or your understanding of the narrative. It's kind of like little Easter eggs. Yeah, and and it's it's this kind of thing that makes Sandman work is that it exists to the side but still within. Mm. Do you know who Martian Manhunter is? <sighs> you know, sometimes just don't ask me. Just say, and then, yeah, I'll, pre- and then right. I'll, I'll pretend that I know Yen. No, but the point of this podcast is to point out is to point out how completely ignorant my pride can only take so much. You know, maybe by you know by the and tenth, we're, we're gonna find out where that is by the tenth episode. It'll just be me. By the tenth episode, on the you're gonna floor. come crawling in. <laughs> and I'll just be like, no more, no more. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. You say ten. I think we can hit that by episode four. Martian Manhunter is a member of the Justice League and in one of the first seven issues of Sandman, Morpheus reaches out to him and he helps Sandman with his quest of recovering his things and it's a very interesting moment because Martian Manhunter, who is a Martian, sees Morpheus and calls him by a different name. Another name. Implying that the Endless also exist in the Martian tradition and they're not just human. We are only seeing them as human because that is our understanding of our universe. So he's omnipresent or... Or does he have to go between <laughs> Mars and Earth? It doesn't seem like, no, it, it, he doesn't go between. Because there's also another issue, which is an entire issue about cats and cats dreaming. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cats the Musical, which would have been so much fun. That would have been incredible if, if like the 15th <laughs> issue of Sandman is Sandman gets Andrew Lloyd Webber to show the real cats that Cats is based off of. Dream, dream the musical cats. Dream does a deal with Mr. Mistopheles. <laughs> And then the rum tum tugger is watching and he's like, that's not what I'm like. <laughs> Nobody's going to want this. Nobody's going to want this. For everyone listening, Yen and I are a huge fan of Cats the Musical the movie. It's true. It's true. I did go watch the Cats the Musical the movie with Nat- Nathaniel Ma. We watched it together in, point, in a near empty cinema with alcohol. In a near empty cinema. <laughs> And, and I and great. at one point I said, "Hey, what's going on?" And Nat turned around to me and he went, Whoosh. "She's about to sing Memories." And he was right. The second he said that, Jennifer Hudson's face got real big. <laughs> it was the only good part of the movie. Back to Sandman. Would you take Hobbs' deal? Would you? Based on the based off of this issue, what happens to this issue? Would you take Hobbs' deal? Would you? I want to know. Well, what... I asked you. I'll answer after you answer. And I'll say the opposite of whatever you say. <laughs> uh, I think no. Why? It's like there's beauty in transience, right? When right. you know something ends, you know to spend the time you have well. When you know something never ends, it's just, I can imagine if I was immortal, I would have a bunch of things that I would want to do and I'll never get around to doing them because I will procrastinate the hell. I'll be like, literally, I have forever to do this. And then like, I'll like, I'll be, I have forever to visit Niagara Falls. And then like, there'll be an earthquake and Niagara Falls will disappear. And I'm like, ah, shit. You know? So right. it's, like, it's like, it's like if you lived next to the zoo, you're like, oh, I could go to the zoo anytime. Exactly. And then suddenly the last panda dies and you're like, well, well, there goes my chance to go to the zoo. Exactly. You know, like I said, beauty in transience, right? In the, in the knowledge that everything every good thing and bad thing comes to an end, I think it gives purpose to the time that we do have. So that is that is why my answer is no, I would not take Dream's deal. Now, please explain why you would. I don't... Oh man, I really talked myself into a corner. You've committed. Well, I would because I think the 
I would, in quote. <laughs> I would because I think what's a really exciting prospect of this issue is that Hobbes just wants to see the world change. Mm. So, of course, there's beauty and transience, but it doesn't seem like at, at some point in this story, Hobbes kind of gives up on the things he wants to do. That's one of his early follies is that he, he's, he goes into the rise and fall of things because he gets caught up in the momentary pleasures. But who wouldn't? But what I get from Hobbes, is that he just wants to see what's going to happen to the world. And I can imagine wanting that. And I think, but here's the reason why I would say no. And this is the thing that I think this issue gets across really well, is the weight of your sins. Mm. Right? You have to deal, you have to deal with yourself forever. <laughs> yeah. Right? And there's that really unsettling yeah. bit where Hob tells Morpheus that he's engaged in slavery and it's a great deal and he's getting so much money from it. Yeah. Right? And Morpheus is like, you know, that's that's a bad deal. That's not. You should not, never do that's that. Not a good idea, my guy. Yeah, yeah. And 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 a hundred years later, Hob is like, you were right, right. But then it's still right. Then Hob has still done that. He still has to bear with the fact that he traded people as cattle. My favorite moment of that issue is that moment when when Hob is at his lowest. Yeah. Right. And it's that wonderful like four panel spread where Morpheus says, "And you still wish to live." Do you not seek the respite of death? And Hobb is looking down. First is a silent panel. And then he tilts his head to the side. That's the second panel. And the third panel is him sort of smirking at Morpheus. He goes, are you crazy? Death is a mugs game. I got so much to live for. What a guy. And that's the end of that chapter. And then we jump a hundred years forward. What resilience. You gotta love Hobb. You think Hobb is a very thinly veiled reference to Job from the Bible? No, I don't. <laughs> The names are very... I don't think so. The names are very similar. And this particular chapter of Hobbes' life did remind me of Job because in the Bible... Right, this is the chapter when Hobbes says he's lost his wife and daughter, right? Wife and son. Yeah, and then also like in the biblical story of Job, he can't die. No matter what happens to him, he's not able to die because that's the deal that Satan makes with with God. God says you can do anything to him except kill him. What I'm saying is maybe it's pronounced Hope. Whoa. (laughs) What I'll say is that's a real raw deal for Job. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not great. (laughs) So, Nat, we're coming up to the end of our little discussion. And so I've got to ask you two questions. My first question is, do you see the value of what you just read? I think, yes. I think I, I want to go back to the questions you were posing in your yen, right? Like, as we read this story and we learn about these obviously fictional characters of dream and death, it's interesting to think about the implications on the way we live our lives, right? And how we think about time and how we think about death and life. I can definitely understand the value that you speak of in terms of you know taking something from these fictional characters and the fictional role they play in this fictional universe and, and applying it to the very real reality of how we live our lives in this world. So yes, my answer to that is yes, I do see the value. Great. And now here's my second question. And this one's a tough one. This one's a tough one, Nat. Would you keep reading... My immediate answer is I'm actually more inclined to go listen to the audio drama or go watch the Netflix series right now, which I know the Netflix series has got mixed reviews. Maybe I'll go listen to the to the audio drama. It has piqued my Our interest. producer's a huge fan of the Audible one and he's been yes. trying to get me on it forever. It is on my list to listen as well and I will get to it. But yeah, I think if anything, today's reading has made me want to go listen to that first. Okay, well, Nat, I'm, I'm going to push you on this. I'm going to ask you, why you want to go for the audio thing instead of the Netflix one? Is it just the mixed reviews or do you think there's something else that, that would draw you to the Audible more? 
I mean, obviously, as an audio person, I'm drawn to that medium. And I do know it has crazy, crazy good reviews, as do, obviously, as do the graphic novels. But, I mean, for me, it's, it's a very functional thing. I'm not a huge reader in general, right? But I, I consume podcasts and things as I'm commuting, as I'm doing things. So just functionally, practically, it's a bit easier for me. But I am also curious, having now, you know, just had a taste of the comic, I'm curious to see how the adaptation into the audio medium and, and how music and foley and sound effects and voice actors is going to change all of that. So Yeah, and I think I really connect with that, right? Because so much of what we've talked about in this podcast is um, what can comics do that other mediums can't? Right, And every medium's got its things that it can do that other things can't. And I think audio's got its own set of tools. And so it's really, I'm curious as well as to see how they've adapted it. And eventually I will listen to it. Maybe we should listen to it together on a podcast, Audio Sense. That's a stupid idea. You know, I try not to, I try not to be too mean on this show, but that's one of the stupidest f- things I've ever heard. I try not to swear either, but my goodness. My God, I'm just... I just want everyone to know that that Yen had no idea how to record his voice onto a computer and I had to walk him through like a child, like a baby. Yen, you plug the mic into this box with this wire. So he's an audio idiot as much as I am a comic idiot. Oh, Nat's lashing out, folks. He's lashing out. <laughs> this is, I pushed this him is the, too far. This is the beginning of my redemption story. <laughs> redemption? <laughs> you think you deserve Redemption? This is your villain arc. This episode, when you revealed that you'd already watched the Netflix episode, that is the start of your villain arc. (laughs) So Nat, before we close up, me and our producer are selecting these books live. We're trying to react to your responses. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, and before you go into the section, I just have one thing to say to you. Hmm. You know, you act all mean and tough on this podcast, but, you know, I know the reason why you've, you've agreed to do this podcast. I think you're here for something else. And what might that be? Friendship. I think you're lonely. You dare? <laughs> you dare imply that I might befriend a football player? That one of my kind needs your companionship? You dare to call me lonely? Yes. Yes, I do. Tell you what. I'll be here next episode. Where? What are we doing next episode? What a segue. Can I give myself a round of applause? You, you asked and you, nobody gave you permission. You I gave myself a round of applause. And you, as my friend, what, what are we doing the next episode? Well, then, I, me and a producer, we're trying to select these comics in response to your reactions. So tell me, what's the thing you're most afraid of? Drowning. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no response for that. You know, you're going to find out what we're reading next time. And I will probably find out maybe a day before. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Wait, so that's it? That's your teaser? Yeah, that's my teaser. That's really my teaser. Okay. Well, join us next episode to find out if I drown. Thanks for listening to Comic Sans. We'll see you on the next page. See ya. Thanks for listening to Comic Sans. This is an Andas Productions show hosted by Mao Yente and Nathaniel Ma and produced by Roshan Singh Sambi. Our cover art is by Isabel Fang, and marketing by Siobhan Lek. Follow us on social media at the links in the description, and stay tuned for weekly releases of our 8-episode first season.